All right, what is this? I'll give you one shot at it. What is this? Not even close. <laughs> this, of course, obviously is a lightsaber. <laughs> I was eight years old when I first saw the original Star Wars, standing room only on a balcony in a theater in Taipei, Taiwan. And at that point, that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. Came home, my brother and I, we started looking through the house, looking for things we can use as lightsabers. Uh, we didn't have money to buy toys, so we got these. Wrapping paper tubes, and we did lightsaber duels with them. Of course we did. We also looked for things that we can use as like, you know, laser pistols, and we go around shooting each other with anything that looked vaguely like a laser pistol. We ran around the house. Zooming through space, flying our X-wing fighters, dodging laser cannons on a mission to destroy the Death Star. Of course that's what we did, because that's what a good story does. A good story, a compelling story, draws us in. I mean, you've ever been to a movie or read a book? At the end of the movie, the credits are rolling or you're turning the last page, and you experience that, that pang of regret. A sense of loss, like, oh, I'm back to my life. <laughs> I wish I could be in that one. I can be in that world. That's what a good story does. It engages us. It, it, it engages our imagination so we can like, hey, imagine us to be part of that world and not be part of this world. That's what a good story does. Now, I'm going to guess for most of us, that is not our reaction when we read the Bible. I don't think so. And I think part of the problem is when we read the Bible, we read it in bits and pieces. A verse here, a verse there, right? Or we read the Bible as a book of philosophy or, or a book of rules. But here's the thing. When we read the Bible as a story, when we invest the time to get to know what's going on in the story, then the Bible, like all these other great stories, can pull us in. But here's the difference between the Bible and all the other stories. The Bible doesn't want to pull us out of this world. The Bible says it is the true story of this world. The Bible tells us what's really going on in our world. And it beckons us to be part of this epic saga and invites us to join the greatest mission the world has ever seen. Today, we're going to talk about this mission. But before I do that, let me introduce myself. My name is Charles. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team. I want to greet everybody in all the sites and venues. Um, thank you for coming here. Welcome. We want, we're happy for you to be here. And also, uh, people who are joining us by computer or by podcast, welcome to Black Church. We're so glad you're here. Now, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Live This Book. And we've been in this series since, like, last September. And, 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 and the big idea of the series is that the whole story of the Bible, okay, it's one story, and it has these seven major plot points, and I hope you know these by now, right? I hope you memorize these by now, kind of. Okay, so we are at the end of number six. We're, we're like right here, the final Sunday of the sixth one, and starting next Sunday, we go into the seventh and final plot point, God's mission accomplished. That's the next one, okay? But today, I need to confess something, and that is this. Um, today is actually technically the final Sunday on the story of the Bible. But let me, let me show you what I mean by that, okay? The narrative portion of the Bible in the Old Testament um, 
is, is concentrated in this collection of books called Primary History. It runs from Genesis to 2 Kings. That's one story, continuous story, the narrative backbone of the Old Testament. And then the story, story continues in the New Testament with four stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now you notice Luke has, it kind of extends past things a little bit. It, it goes past the story of Jesus into the story of the church. And this is the book of Acts right here. Well, the storytelling narrative portion of the Bible really ends right here as the end of the book of Acts. Now, there is more to the story, but they haven't happened yet. That's all coming up in the future, right? So, so you know, like, like next week, we're going to talk about hell. Uh, yes, we're going to talk about hell on Mother's Day. <sighs> okay, I wonder which genius came up with that schedule. We gave it to Chris Dolson, it's gonna be great. <laughs> uh, we're gonna talk about the return of Jesus. We're gonna talk about renewed heaven and earth, but all those things are in the future. Okay? That's all coming up. The storyline, the storyline, the, the recounting of events, it stops right here at the end of Acts, which means today is actually a really important day. Today's a really big day because we're actually looking at technically the ending of the story. So if you have your Bible, please turn to the first chapter of the book of Acts. We're going to look at the beginning verses of the book of Acts, and we're going to look at the final verses of the book of Acts. Um, so let's go, let's go there. What's, get, what's going on is Luke starts off by telling us about what happens with Jesus after his death and his resurrection. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he has chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth." All right, let's, let's walk through this a little bit, all right? So this is starting off after Jesus' death and resurrection, and, and, and Jesus now is on earth, and he's hanging out with his disciples. What is he doing with his disciples? Well, he's teaching them stuff. And what is he teaching about? The kingdom of God. If anybody ever asks you, hey, what is Jesus talking about? What does Jesus teach about? The answer is, very good. The kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of God? Well, you should know the story by now, right? The story of the Bible says that God creates this wonderful world, and he invites humans to, to run, run it with him, to rule with him, to be his partner. But the humans, they say, yeah, no, thank you. We like to run the world ourselves. And they run the world into the ground, right? It's violent. It's full of sin and destruction and corruption. It's a whole place is a mess. And so what God says is, okay, I'm going to fix this world. So the rest of the Bible is about God seeking to restore this world. Restoring the reign of God on earth, that's the kingdom of God. Okay? That's it. So, so God chooses a, a, a kingdom 
called Ancient Israel in the Old Testament. He says, hey, you guys can be my partner in this. How about that? Let's be partners. We can do this together. Um, and that kingdom rebels against God and joins the rebellion, and God sends them into exile. And then Jesus comes as the king, and he then gathers a community of people, starts a new community, a new church. So what is the mission of this church? What is the mission of this community? To help God establish the kingdom of God. To help him establish his reign on earth. To make a place where everybody on earth knows God and loves God and pledge allegiance to God. That's the mission of the church. Which is why, if you look at this, right, Jesus spends 40 days, right, a 40-day seminar on the kingdom of God. Because that's the mission of the church. Wish I got the PowerPoints for that one, huh? All right, let's get to the, uh, the final part of the book. This is, this is, these are the last verses of the book of Acts. And uh, here we have a guy named Paul. He's a Christ follower. He is now in Rome. He is in the capital of the Roman Empire. And uh, what is he doing there? Well, he's under house arrest. And so this is what it says. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who come to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is how the story ends. This is how the book of Acts ends. This is also how the story of the Bible ends. Now, do you see it, right? The book of Acts begins with Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God and sending his disciples out to, to, to bear witness to Jesus. And the book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome proclaiming the kingdom of God and bearing witness to Lord Jesus Christ. These are the bookends of the book of Acts. This is the whole story of the book of Acts. It's about Jesus' disciples learning from Jesus and then proclaiming the kingdom of God and bearing witness to Jesus from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. Now, I got to tell you, um, the first time I read the book of Acts, I was about 10. My family just started going to church. And, uh, and I, you know, I like reading as a kid. So I was like, I'll read the Bible, sure. So I don't know where to start. Somebody said, hey, read the book of John. I said, okay. So I read the book of John, and I got through that. And then what's the next book? Why, it's, it's Acts. So I just kept on reading. I read the book of Acts, and, and then I read these two verses. And I remember that moment vividly because I read the two verses, and I flipped it over to the next page. It says Romans. Like, that's not a story. That doesn't look interesting. So what happens after these two verses? I was confused. I started looking for it all over the Bible. Go, how does the story continue? Then I found out from somebody, some, somebody, the story doesn't continue. That's all there is. I was outraged. <laughs> I was outraged. I was like, what kind of a story is this? Seriously, it's there? That's the ending? I mean, this is supposed to be the Bible, right? God wrote this. God's the author. How can God write a story with such a lousy ending? As a 10-year-old, I was not impressed with God. <laughs> not impressed with God. Not impressed with the Bible. Well, it wasn't until much later that I finally learned that Acts chapter 28 is not a good ending because it was never meant to be an ending. You see, the book of Acts is written to be open-ended. If you read chapter 28, you read it, you go, and you, you just read through it. You get a chance to read it. There's nothing in there that says, oh, the story should end here. In fact, it's crying out for more, right? Paul is like ready to go on trial. What happens to Paul? Doesn't tell you, right? It, it wouldn't take much to do fanfic. 
It wouldn't take much to continue the story. Use our imagination. Go, oh, Paul goes on trial. Does he get arrested? You know, get set free? Does he get rearrested? What about other Christ followers? How, how do they, they jump into the story, right? They jump into the story and they're and they're pushing out the kingdom of God. So now, you know, all the major cities around the Mediterranean Sea, Europe and North Africa, there's there's churches in all these cities. And then the, the people of God push the gospel, push the kingdom eastward. So now they're in, in Asia Minor, Syria, Arabia, Persia, all the way to India. The kingdom of God goes southward, following the river Nile to Nubia and Ethiopia. 900 years after Paul, the kingdom goes all the way north to the Scandinavian countries. And then 900 years after that, Christ followers in Scandinavia, facing persecution, they immigrate to this continent called North America. And they end up in this area called Wisconsin, and they plant a bunch of churches. And one day, a group of families from one of these churches plant a church on the west side of a city called Madison, on a street called Blackhawk Avenue, and they named that church Blackhawk Evangelical Free Church. And now the story has reached us. Tell you right now, every single church on this planet can trace their story all the way back to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 28 is a lousy ending because it's never meant to be an ending. We have to understand why the Bible is written as a story. You see, it's not what we expect from the Bible. Right? We expect the Bible to be like dense with theology or philosophy, complex propositions about the nature of God, the nature of Trinity. Or we think the Bible should be a book of rules. Lots of do's and don'ts, lots of rules. What is sin, what is not? How close can you come to sin without actually doing it? We want stuff like that in the Bible. Now, now let, me, let, me, let me be clear, okay? There is philosophy in the Bible. There is theology in the Bible. There is ethics in the Bible. But all of that is embedded in this overarching narrative about the creator God of the universe who is trying to restore his creation. And this God is inviting human partners. Hey, come join me, come join me. Characters like Abraham, Moses, David, Jeremiah, Peter, Paul. And, and this, this God, this God is so committed. He loves his world so much that he enters into his creation as a human being. He gives up power, he gives up grandeur, he gives his glory and enters in as a human being, weak and vulnerable, opening himself up to this broken world. And he dies for the people that he loves. The Bible tells us this. Because the Bible is designed to be more than a book of theology. It's designed to be more than a book of ethics. It is designed to make you want to be part of the story. When we read the Bible right, look, when we read the Bible right, when we read the Bible the way it's meant to be read, you will experience an invitation. It's like a hand reaching out of the pages of the Bible, offering you a pen and says, would you like to write the next chapter of the story with Jesus? That's the mission. That's the call. And for those of us who are Christ followers, this is the mission that we have accepted. This is the call that we have responded to. Now, 
usually we could just keep, we can just keep talking about this mission, this call. But today I want to take us one step further. I want to talk about something that's, I can just barely scratch the surface on. It's, it's complicated. Okay. I want to talk about the how. How do we do this mission? How do we actually bear witness to Jesus in this world? This is a complicated topic, and I can't do justice to it. But I do want to start with a critical passage that's right there in the beginning of the book of Acts. Okay. I want to take us back to the 40-day seminar that Jesus does. And like a good teacher, Jesus leaves time for Q&A. So then the disciples gathered around Jesus and asked him, Hey, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, why are they asking this question? Well, they're asking this question because they know the story of the Old Testament, right? What was the strategy of the kingdom of God in the Old Testament? The strategy was God says to Abraham, hey, from your descendants, I will make a kingdom that will be a blessing to the world, right? Let's make a kingdom. Well, we know that that plan didn't go very well. That kingdom falls apart, right? But then Jesus comes. He's a new king. And he's brought together a people united in him, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we have a new king and a new people. So let's rebuild the kingdom of Israel. That makes perfect sense, right? Right? Jesus, hey, you know, know, Jesus, this is going to be a piece of cake. Everybody in Jerusalem thinks you're dead. So you just walk down the street all the way up to the temple. You're going to have people lined up on the streets joining us. You'll be on the throne of Jerusalem by nightfall. Peter can be the secretary of defense. John can run finance. We'll take over. Don't worry. Piece of cake. We got this. Just give us the word, Jesus. Makes sense, right? That was the Old Testament plan. New people, new king. Let's do it again. Which means what Jesus says next must have come as an absolute shock. He said to them, it's not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What Jesus says is, you don't know the time that's going to happen, but it isn't now. But I know the question you're asking. I know the underlying question, which is the question of how. How is this going to work? What does this kingdom of God thing look like anyway? How are we going to do this? Well, Jesus says, look, rebuilding Israel Building a physical kingdom of God on earth? That's not the plan. Okay? I mean, they're like, hey, what about this? Jesus is like, no, that's not it. It's this. Be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Okay? Let me me just pause here, because I think for those of us who've been around churches for a while, we're quite familiar with this passage. Right? We hear this taught a lot. Hey, be Jesus' witnesses. Go to the ends of the earth. We're like, hey, this passage is about telling people about Jesus. That's what this passage is about. But remember what I said about when we read the Bible as a story, it has a way of changing things and shifting things. Right? What's familiar becomes a little unfamiliar. When we read this passage in continuity with the Old Testament, this passage now reads as Jesus declaring a change in the strategy of the kingdom of God. This is a pivotal moment in the story of the people of God. Jesus is declaring that instead of of the Old Testament strategy, we're going to do a brand new one, a foundational shift 
and God's global mission to the world. This is a big shift. And the implications of this shift are momentous. So uh, I want to begin by making sure we understand the differences between these two strategies. Okay? So we start with strategy number one, the one in the Old Testament. And let's just call it Kingdom of God 1.0. Okay. Here's the strategy. You have a physical kingdom. You have border. You have boundary. There's a geographical location. You can point to it on the map and go, up. Oh, there's the kingdom of God. Okay? That's number one. Number two. All of God's people are gathered together. Everybody living in that, people, in that land, they're all Christ followers. They all live there, okay? So that's, they're all gathered together. And number three, there is a king running this kingdom, and he's exercising military and political power, reinforcing the values of the kingdom of God. He has a government that, that creates laws and enforces laws. What do you think of this? Okay, so just, just my personal observation, there's something very attractive about this. Right? Because following Jesus will be a lot easier in Kingdom of God 1.0 because everybody around you, they all follow Jesus. Right? I'm going to live in a place where everybody follows Jesus. Everywhere I go, they're Christ followers, which means the culture, oh, it's going to reinforce my faith in Jesus. All the movies, all the TV shows, all the music, they're going to help me grow in following Jesus. The, 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 the laws are going to reflect kingdom values. All the leaders believe in Jesus, and they're going to try to pass laws to help us grow and flourish. That sounds pretty good, right? Attractive? Sounds kind of good, right? Jesus says no. <laughs> Jesus says, no, that's not the strategy of the kingdom. We're going to do something different. Let's call that kingdom of God 2.0. This kingdom has no borders, has no boundary, no geographical location, no place on the map people can point to and go, oh, that's the kingdom of God. Nope. Which means... God's people are scattered, forming these little communities called churches spread out all over the world, living among people who don't know God and don't follow God. There's a king, Jesus. He reigns in heaven, and he guides his people through the Holy Spirit, but he does not wield. He is not here to wield political and military power. What do you think of this one? I gotta tell you, my first thought is that sounds like a recipe for suffering. It's very uncomfortable. Think about it. We are people who pledge allegiance to Jesus. We are people who are citizens of the kingdom of God, and we live in a country that is not ours. We live in a country that does not believe in Jesus, which means we are by definition foreigners and exiles. That's exactly how the disciples would have heard it. When Jesus said, hey, you're going to leave Jerusalem and go to the ends of the earth. Okay, we think leaving Jerusalem, go to the end of the earth. What's the big deal? Okay, put your Old Testament hat on. Okay, put your Old Testament hat on. In the Old Testament, leaving Jerusalem, leaving the promised land, what does it mean? It means exile. It means going to a place that's not your home. It means becoming foreigners and strangers living in a strange land. And this is exactly what Peter calls us in 1 Peter. Peter, writing, he says, Apostle Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles, scattered throughout the provinces. I don't know, just put in there, the state of Wisconsin, scattered throughout the county of Dane. Exiles. 
Verse 17, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Dear friends, chapter 2, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. Do you see it? Do you see it? The strategy of Kingdom God 2.0 is intentional exile. Becoming foreigners and strangers is part of what it means to follow Jesus. And I got to tell you, that's not comfortable. We pledge allegiance to Jesus. We embrace the values of the kingdom of God, which means we are out of step and out of touch with the culture around us. All right? Our values, our beliefs, our morals are considered out of date, out of touch, and frankly, just flat out wrong. We become people who don't belong. We become outsiders, and it is not comfortable. There is tension in following Jesus. But man, I got to tell you, discomfort is just the beginning. When God's people get sent out into a broken world and we're out of touch with the culture around us, without military power or political power to protect us, things get ugly very quickly. Let's go back to the passage. The Greek word for witness in this passage is martis. And when Luke was using this word in, in, in toward the, in seven, on 70s AD, that word simply meant somebody who teaches and proclaims what they have seen, what they have experienced, what they believe, to be a witness. Within 100 years, the church infused this word with a new meaning. Martis becomes a reference to a person who is persecuted, who suffers, and who dies for following Jesus. Martis is where we get the word martyr. In Kingdom of God 2.0, witness is fused with martyr. For the past 2,000 years, thousands upon thousands of Christ followers have lost their job have been exiled, have been ostracized, have been beaten, have been imprisoned, have been executed for their faith in Jesus. And I'm not talking about the past, I'm talking about right now, that's going on around the world. Now, we can do a whole sermon just on this, but I want to have time and space to do it justice. So I don't want to get into it in detail. What I want to do is say this, following Jesus, Kingdom God 2.0, is a recipe for suffering and persecution. It's uncomfortable. And discomfort is just the beginning. Now, how are you guys feeling? <laughs> Yay! Aren't you glad you came to church today? Yay! I like I agree with you. I agree with you. This is hard. This is not, this doesn't feel like good news. This is hard. We say this at Blackhawk often. We say following Jesus would not make your life easier, it would make your life more complicated. This is what we're talking about. And, and, and for Christ followers, we don't like being uncomfortable. We don't like this tension. So for throughout church history, there have been people who come up with various ways to cope with this tension, to minimize this tension, to get rid of the discomfort. So here are some common coping mechanisms. Number one, we compartmentalize. Now, this is simple. On Sundays, I turn on my Christian brain. I come in, I sing songs. I read the Bible, I worship God, I listen to the sermon, I take notes, I talk to people about my faith. It's all great. Monday morning, I turn off my Christian brain, I turn on my work brain, my school brain, and I hang out with my friend's brain, okay? Christianity, my faith is in this box. 
And then everything else, all the other part of my life are those boxes. Okay, now, how many people do that? Just my hand goes up because you don't have to do that. My hand goes up because I used to do this. I did, I did this for years. Go to church every Sunday, and then when I go hang out with my friends, I do everything they do. None of them would have ever imagined that I was a Christ follower. Got to tell you, it worked. Minimal discomfort. Number two, we hide from the world. Throughout church history, there have been Christ followers who decided to form communities to get away from the world. They live together by themselves. Now, I'm guessing most of us here do not live in one of those communities, but we can still do it. We can still hide, right? right? Have only Christian friends, only hang out with Christian coworkers, um, listen to only Christian music, watch only Christian movies and TV shows, basically block the world out. Now, let me, let me make it clear, okay? I'm not saying we should have Christian community. We absolutely should have Christian community. We should have Christian friends and deep, deep relationships. And we should, and there's a very good Christian movies and music around. But if that's all we do, that's all we have, that's a way to minimize the discomfort. Number three, we change the gospel to fit culture. This is very common. Some things we teach in the Bible that culture likes, you know, hey, love of God, mercy, yeah, we teach that. And we, there's the stuff we don't like, they don't like, we don't talk about those things, right? So, you know, Love of Jesus, awesome. Uh, Jesus claimed to be the exclusive way to salvation. Let's not go there. Biblical sexual ethics, let's not go there. Judgment and hell, let's really not go there. This is very common. We do this, right? We emphasize the part of the gospel that resonates with the culture, and we bury the part that don't. It's a way to minimize the discomfort. And then number four. We change the culture to suit us. This is basically trying to go back to Kingdom of God 1.0, right? We, we, uh, and, and so what we, this is very popular in countries where there are a lot of Christ followers. What you can do is you can, you, can, you can gain political power and change the laws to shape the culture so that it suits the way we live, the what we believe. Very popular in, in, in countries with a lot of Christ followers. Um, one form of this today is known as Christian nationalism. But this is nothing new. This has been going on some way, some shape, some form since the very beginning. This is very attractive. Christ followers have always tried to shape culture so it makes it easier for them so they don't experience discomfort. But what it comes down to is this. We don't want the discomfort. But discomfort is key to the mission. Why is that? I'm going to close that with, that with that final thought. Today, we learned so far two things. We learned, we learned that we are the inheritors of this mission to the world. We are the people who are proclaiming the kingdom of God and bearing witness to Jesus right here in Madison, Wisconsin, 21st century America. That's great. That's awesome. The second thing we learned is that the kingdom of God 2.0, the strategy of the kingdom, makes it difficult, makes it hard for us. And so we come up with ways to avoid the discomfort. So the things we need to tackle is why. Why, Jesus? Why did you pick a strategy that makes it hard for your followers? Why not kingdom got 1.0? 2.0 is hard. It's like guaranteeing suffering and persecution or discomfort. It's just like, ah, why'd you do this, Jesus? 
the answer. The mission is about bearing witness to Jesus. How do you bear witness to Jesus? Well, it goes beyond talking about Jesus. You absolutely should talk about Jesus. But it goes beyond talking about Jesus. It goes into how we live our lives. How does community of faith bear witness as we live life together? How do we live our lives? How do you bear witness to Jesus? A king who surrenders his power, who surrenders his status, who surrenders his privilege, who enters into a broken world and makes himself vulnerable to this world. Unto death, dying for the sake of his love for the people. How do we reveal this king? How do we reveal this king? Except by being a community that gives up power, gives up privilege, gives up status, embrace the discomfort, open ourselves to this broken world and love this world, come what may. This is a sobering reality. Revealing Jesus, bearing witness to Jesus is uncomfortable. Look, we can't image Jesus. We can't reveal Jesus from a position of power and strength and privilege and comfort. A gospel that is proclaimed from a posture of power and comfort is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the sobering reality. I know I just scratched the surface. I probably raised more questions than I answered. I just got the conversation started. There's a lot of conversation about how to be Christ followers in this broken world. Lots of conversations. But certainly, there is one way we know to reveal Jesus. And that is if we as a community sacrifice time and energy and effort to love the community around us, to serve the community around us. That is certainly one way to reveal Jesus and bear witness to Jesus. And that's why we do something called Love Madison every year. We do Love Madison once a year. We pick a day, a Sunday, in which people, are, we don't come to the buildings. We form small groups and we serve our community all around Dane County. We do these work projects. We serve people. Okay. So if you haven't signed up already, it's on May 21st this year. Go to the website and sign up. Okay. Go sign up. And remember, in two weeks, don't come to the buildings. Don't come to Brader Way. Don't come to Fitchburg. Don't come to downtown. But do come to church. Because church is not the building. The church is the gathering of the people of God. And when we gather together, and when we sacrifice time and energy and effort to love our community, we bear witness to our Lord Jesus Christ, because that's what he did. This is who we are, folks. We are people united with Jesus, saved from the domination of sin and death, adopted as his sons and daughters, joined together as one body, empowered by the Holy Spirit, given the ability to love across boundaries, and then given the mission to partner with God on his mission to the ends of the earth. Let me pray for us.
Father, we, it's, it's, I, I, it's an honor to partner with you. It's an honor to join with you in this story of what you're trying to do in the world. It is a privilege. We don't often see it that way, but it is. You have called us into partnership. At the same time, we also know this mission is hard. By the very way you have done this, the very way you're trying to bring the world to you, you have made it hard and challenging for us. And we, we want to know that. We want to embrace that. We want to, we want to not escape this comfort. We want to know how to live with it and live it with it well. We pray for wisdom, for patience with each other as we talk and figure things out about how to live in this broken world to bear witness to you. Because we love you. And we want your kingdom to come and your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is what we want. And all God's people said, Amen.